From around the world, there are stories to remind us that there are things that go bump in the night. It is our job to break this news to you here on Wretched Reports. Hello and welcome to Wretched Reports. My name's Jesse. And I'm Andy. And today we have a story from Reddit. It is a creepypasta I thought was pretty good. And uh, we'll see what Andy thinks. We shall see. This, like I said, comes from Reddit No Sleep by user Peach Squid. My neighbor brought over some baby shoes the other day. They were pink and had glitter on the toes and sequins flowers on the sides. We cooed over them for a few minutes and I told her how much I appreciated the gift. After she left, I threw them in the bedroom closet with all the other baby junk I had been given over the past six months. Six months ago, everyone in town started asking me about my baby. I do not have a baby. I have never given birth or even been pregnant. I thought I was being mistaken for someone else. I'm not particularly unique looking. Maybe some other short, dark-haired, hazel-eyed girl gave birth recently. But I am shy by nature and southern by birth, so I was too polite to say, you're wrong, you have the wrong person, I don't have a baby. I said things like, um, okay, mostly because it must have been a case of mistaken identity. People brought over baby clothes, a crib, a swing, that plugs into the wall and jingles, toys and shoes and diapers, a very weird situation to be in for sure. But then, to put it plainly, things got weirder. I was at the grocery store and the manager, a friendly old man, came up to me and asked about my sweet little girl. He asked if she liked the different formula he had suggested and if I wanted more. I just smiled. When I got home, I found the formula in my grocery bag, an almost empty can in my cabinet. I don't even remember putting it in the cart. The thing is, everyone has been so nice to me, and the situation is just so odd that I started going along with it. How's the little darling today, today, the neighbor would ask when I got the mail. Oh, she's wonderful, sleeping through the night, I'd answer. Then a young woman got that got coffee at the same place as me asked about a play date with her nine-month-old and my five-month-old. I sort of blew it off. Next time I saw her, though, she talked about setting up another play date and how much fun the two darlings had. She showed me a picture on her phone. Aren't they just precious in this picture? Your little girl has the most beautiful blue eyes. Her dress really makes them pop. I'll text this to you. I looked at the picture and saw a chubby baby in a red shirt and blue shorts. It had dark hair and dark eyes. It was the only baby in the picture. I went home and opened my bedroom closet full of baby junk. I pulled out teddy bears, an unopened box with a changing table in it. I pulled out a shopping bag with new baby clothes. I dumped it out on my bed and looked through them. I found a little blue dress. A few weeks ago, I decided to call my mom. Hello, she answered. Mom, it's me, I said. Oh, Pearl, hi. How are you, I asked. We don't talk often. I'm good. We're all good here, she paused, then asked, and how are you two doing? Us two, I asked hesitantly. Now don't act like that. 
I know I haven't been in touch much lately, but I do care about you and my grandbaby, she said sorely. I know, Mom. She's crying. I gotta go, I lied. Give Holly my love, she said, and then hung up before I did. The funny thing is, Breakfast at Tiffany's has been my favorite book since I was a kid, and I'd always thought Holly would be a great name for a kid I would eventually have. I went into my room and put my phone down after my short conversation with my mom. The changing table and the crib were neatly set up by the window. I didn't do that. I'm sure I didn't. I walked over to the crib and looked inside. Nothing was there. I walked over to the changing table, then took a step back before I bumped my shin against one of the legs, because I remembered that I had done that before. I looked down and saw a bruise on my shin. I know I hit it against the changing table, but I also know that they weren't in there before. I knew it. How's Holly today, my neighbor asked across the street. We were both out grabbing our mail. She's good. Happy as ever, I said. I heard her scream up a storm when you came home last night. I'd be surprised if you were able to get her to bed at all. Once she lays down, it usually doesn't take long at all, I replied. I went inside and looked through my mail and a bunch of junk. I put everything down on the kitchen table counter and opened the cabinet to get out a cup. I heard some noises coming from my room. I paused and listened. I didn't hear anything for a minute, so I grabbed the cup and got some water from the sink. I heard something over the sound of the tap. Holly must be awake. I went to my room and looked down at the crib. Holly's stuffed elephant was in the crib. I reached down to pick it up. It was cute. No wonder someone got it for Holly. I put the elephant back down in the crib and brought the cup up to my mouth to take a sip. I realized I was holding a baby bottle. Mom brain, I thought. Where did I put my cup down? But then I saw I was holding my cup. I'm not a mom. What the fuck was I thinking? I looked back over at the crib. Why do I still have this crib in my room? I kicked the crib, then kicked it again. Then again until the wood began splintering. I pushed the changing table over on its side. I opened the closet and shoved the pieces of the crib and all the other baby-related items I could find. I slammed the door closed. I couldn't keep the charade up. I decided I couldn't go along with this nonsense anymore. I went to get my coffee this morning. I was so tired, I felt like I hadn't slept all night. The barista smiled at me. Your kid keep you up, she asked. No, I said firmly and smiled. I sat down at the table to drink my coffee when some woman walked up to me. She asked how I was doing, how my daughter was doing. I'm fine, I answered and left it at that. She sat down at the table and in a hushed, concerned voice, she asked me if I was experiencing any depression. She said that new mothers often feel like this. I'm not a new mother, I said. A man came in, walked quickly up to the table. He bent down and whispered something into my ear. I didn't register at first. What? I asked. You left your kid in the car seat in your car, she said again. I jumped up and ran out. I unlocked the car and opened the back seat. How could I be so stupid? How fucked up am I to leave my kid in the car? But nothing was there. No kid, no car seat. I drove home. I sat on the bed looking through the pictures on my phone. I looked at the picture of the chubby kid in the red shirt. I stared at it. Where is she? Where is Holly? There's only one kid in this picture, but everyone else says that there are two. Chubbs and my little Holly, bright blue eyes, blue dress. She does look so pretty in that blue dress. I do have a bit more to write, but Holly just started crying. I need to go check on her.
What the fuck? I don't understand. Yeah, I started reading that, and I wasn't thinking that it was truly scary, but it's definitely one of those what-the-fuck-is-going-on moments. Yeah, I mean, people are saying that she's got this baby and, and talking about her in pictures and shit, but she doesn't see her. She's never... I don't understand. Well, um, so in some of the comments underneath it, people were kind of relating it to possibly postpartum depression. Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know much about it, so... Oh, just the concept of denying that she's had a baby so hard that she doesn't see it. One person even commented in here that uh, they thought it was going to take a really bad turn when she started smashing the crib. Yeah, that was my concern, too. When she was kicking it and such, I thought, oh my god, she's going to kill the baby. And then I went, but well, is there really a baby? And, I mean, that's such an odd story. How would you feel if, you know, someone was talking about a baby that you supposedly had? I would want to know how that child survived for five months if I didn't know it was there. Well, and that's the thing, is toward the end, it started flipping, oh, mom brain, and oh, how could I be so stupid, things yeah. like that. But I figured, you know, you being a mom and, and whatnot, that might be kind of creepy to you in some way. Well, I mean, yeah, and I guess in a way it is, because I can't imagine forgetting my child, you know, or not, or thinking that I didn't have one. Well, I figured that would be a, a pretty good one to start with. I um, like it little confusing kind of creepy in the in the concept of ignoring reality maybe or maybe it's some creature implanting itself in society i guess i'm up today i'm going to be reading you a story that i found on reddit no sleep forum by user m59gar Massiganer? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I would think that's some sort of lead speak kind of thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. So this story is called A Shattered Life. I don't know when you're going to read this, but I can tell you when it started. I was out for a walk alone in the woods when the entity came for me. It was beyond a blur. It was, for a lack of a better term, absence of meaning. Where it hid, there were no trees. Where it crept closer, there was no grass. Though through the arc, it leapt at me. There was no breeze of motion. There was no air at all. As it struck, I felt the distinct sensation of claws puncturing me somewhere unseen, somewhere I'd never felt before. My hands and arms and legs and torso seemed fine, and I wasn't bleeding, but I knew I'd been injured somehow. As I fearfully ran back home, I could tell that I was less. I was vaguely tired and it was hard to focus at times. The solution at that early stage was easy. A big cup of coffee helped me feel normal again. For a while, that subtle drain on my spirit became lost in the ebb and flow of caffeine in my system. You could say my life began that week. Actually, because that's when I met Mar. She and I got along great, though. To be honest, I'm pretty sure I fell in love with her over the phone before we even met. It was almost as if the strong emotions of that first week made the entity fight back. It was still with me, latched on to some invisible part of my being. The first few incidents were minor, and I hardly worried about them. The color of a neighbor's car changed from dark blue to black one morning, and I stared at it before shaking my head and shrugging off the difference. Two days later, at work, a co-worker's name changed from Fred to Dan, I carefully asked around, but everyone said his name had always been Dan. 
I figured I'd just been mistaken. Then, as ridiculous as this sounds, I was peeing in my bathroom at home when I suddenly found myself on a random street. I was still in my pajamas, pants down and urinating, but now in full view of a dozen people at a bus stop. Horrified, I pulled up my clothes and ran before someone called the cops. I did manage to get home, but the experience forced me to admit that I was still in danger. The entity was doing something to me, and I didn't understand how to fight back. Mar showed up that evening, but she had her own key. Hey, I asked her with confusion, how'd you get a key? She just laughed. You're cute. Are you sure you're okay with this? She opened the door and entered a room full of boxes. I know living together is a big step, especially since we've only been dating three months. Living together? I'd literally just met her the week before. Thing was, my mother had always called me a smart cookie for a reason. I knew when to shut my yap. Instead of causing a scene, I told her everything was fine, and then I went straight to my room and began investigating. My things were just as I had left them, with no sign of a three-month gap in habitation. But I did find something out of the ordinary. The date. I shivered angrily as I processed the truth. The entity had eaten three months of my life. What the hell was I facing? What kind of creature could consume pieces of one's soul like that? I'd missed the most exciting part of a new relationship and I would never understand any shared stories or in-jokes from that period. Something absurdly precious had been taken from me, and I was furious. That fury helped suppress the entity. I never imbibed alcohol. I drank coffee religiously. I checked the date every time I woke up. For three years, I managed to live each day while observing nothing more than minor alterations. A social fact here and there someone's job, how many kids they had, that sort of thing. The layout of the nearby streets, the time my favorite television show aired, and that kind of thing. Always, those changes reminded me the creature still had its claws sunk into my spirit. Not once in three years did I ever let myself zone out. One day, I grew careless. I let myself get really into a season finale of my favorite show. It was gripping, a fantastic story. Right at the height of action, a young boy came up to my lounger and shook my arm. Surprised, I asked, who are you? How did you get in here? He laughed and smiled brightly. Silly daddy. My heart sank in my chest. I knew immediately what had happened. After a few masked questions, I discovered that he was two years old and that he was my son. The agony and heartache filling my chest was nearly unbearable. Not only had I missed the birth of my son, I would never see or know the first years of his life. Mar and I had obviously gotten married and started a family in the time I'd lost, and I had no idea what joys or pains those years contained. It was snowing outside. Holding my sudden son in my lap, I sat and watched the flakes fall outside. What kind of life was this going to be if slips in concentration could cost me years? I had to get help. The church had no idea what to do. The priests didn't believe me and told me I had a health issue rather than some sort of possession. The doctors didn't have any clue. Nothing showed up on all their scans and tests, but they happily took my money in return for nothing. By the time I ran out of options, I decided to tell Mar. There was no way to know what this all looked like from her side. What was I like when I wasn't there? 
Did I still take our son to school? Did I still do my job? Clearly, I did, because she seemed to be none the wiser. But I still had a horrible feeling that something must be missing in her life when I wasn't actually home inside my own head. But the night I set up a nice dinner in preparation, she arrived not by unlocking the front door, but by knocking on it. I answered and found that she was in a nice dress. She was happily surprised by the settings on the table. A fancy dinner for a second date? I knew you were sweet on me. Thank the Lord I knew when to keep my mouth shut. If I'd gone on about being married and having a son, she might have run for the hills. Instead, I took her coat and sat down for our second date. Through carefully crafted questions, I managed to deduce the truth. This really was our second date. She saw relief and happiness in me, but interpreted that as dating jitters. I was just excited to realize that the entity wasn't necessarily eating whole portions of my life. The symptoms, as I was beginning to understand them, were more like the consequences of a shattered soul. The creature had wounded me, broken me into pieces. Perhaps I was to live my life out of order, but at least I would actually get to live it. And so it went on for a few years from my perspective. While minor changes in politics or geography would happen daily, major shifts in my mental location only happened every couple of months. When I found myself in a new place and time in my life, I just shut up and listened, making sure to get the lay of the land before doing anything to avoid making mistakes. On the farthest flung leap yet, I met my six-year-old grandson, and I asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. He said, writer. I told him that was a fine idea. Then, I was back in month two of my relationship with Mar, and I had the best night with her on the riverfront. When I say the best, I mean the best. Knowing how special she would become to me, I asked her to move in. I got to live through what I'd missed the first go-round, and I came to understand that I was never mentally absent. I would always be there, eventually. When we were moving her boxes in, she stopped for a moment and said she marveled at my great love, as if I'd known her for a lifetime and never once doubted she was the one. That was the first time I truly laughed freely and wholeheartedly since the entity had wounded me. She was right about my love for her, but for exactly the reason she'd considered a silly romantic analogy. I had known her my whole life, and I'd come to terms with my situation and found peace with it. It wasn't so bad to have sneak peeks at all the best parts ahead. But of course, I wouldn't be writing this if it hadn't gotten worse. The entity was still with me. It had not wounded me and departed like I had wanted to believe. The closest I can describe my growing understanding was that the creature was burrowing deeper into my psyche, fracturing it into smaller pieces. Instead of months between major shifts, I began having only weeks. Once I noticed that trend, I feared my ultimate fate would be to jump between times in my life, heartbeat by heartbeat, forever confused, forever lost. Only an instant in each time would mean I would never be able to speak with anyone else, never be able to hold a conversation, never express or receive love. As the true depth of that fear came upon me, I sat in an older version of me, watching the snow falling outside. That was the one constant in my life. The weather didn't care who I was or what pains I had to face. Nature was always there. 
the falling snow, always like a little hook that kept me in place. The pure emotional peace it brought was like a panacea on my mental wounds. And I never yet shifted while watching the pattern of snow falling and thinking of the times I'd gone sledding or built a snow fort as a child. A teenager touched my arm. Grandpa? Eh? He startled me out of my thoughts so I was less careful than usual. Who are you? He half grinned as not sure whether I was joking. Handed me a stack of papers. He said, It's my first attempt at a novel. Would you read it and tell me what you think? Ah, uh, of course. Pursuing that dream of being a writer, I see. He burned bright red. Trying to, anyway. All right, run off. I'll read this now. The words were blurried and annoyed. I looked for my glasses I had probably had for reading. Being old was terrible, and I wanted to leap back into a younger year, but not before I read his book. I found my glasses in a sweater pocket and began leafing through. Mar puttered in and out of the living room. Still beautiful, but I had to focus. I didn't know how much time I would have there. It seemed that we had relatives over. Was it Christmas? A pair of adults and a couple of kids I didn't recognize tromped through the hallway, and I saw my son, now adult, walk by with his wife on the way out the door. As a group, the extended family began sledding outside. Finally, I finished reading the story, and I called out for my grandson. He rushed down the stairs and into the living room. How was it? Well, it's terrible, I told him truthfully, but it's terrible for all the right reasons. You're still a young man, so your characters behave like young people. But the structure of the story itself is very solid. I paused. I didn't expect it to turn out to be a horror story. He nodded. It's a reflection of the times. Expectations for the future are dismal, not hopeful like they used to be. You're far too young to be aware like that, I told him. An idea occurred to me. If you're into horror, do you know anything about strange creatures? Sure, I read everything I can. I love it. Warily, I scanned the entrances to the living room. Everyone was busy outside. For the first time, I opened up to someone in my life about what I was experiencing. In hushed tones, I told him about my fragmented consciousness. For a teenager, he took it well. You're serious? Yes. He donned the determined look of a grown man accepting a quest. I'll look into it, see what I can find out. You should start writing down everything you experience. Build some data. Maybe we can map your psychic wound. Wow, sounds like a plan. I was surprised that made sense, and I hadn't expected him to have such a serious response. But how will I get all the notes in one place? Let's come up with somewhere for you to leave them, he said, frowning with thought. Then I'll get them, and we can trace the path you're taking through your own life, see if there's a pattern. For the first time since the situation had gotten worse, I felt hope again. How about under the stairs? Nobody ever goes under there. Sure, he turned and left the living room. I peered after him. I heard him banging around near the stairs. Finally, he returned with a box, laid it on the carpet, and opened to reveal a bursting stack of papers. He exclaimed, holy crap, but of course being a teenager, he didn't really say crap. Taken aback, I blinked rapidly, forgiving his cussing because of the shock. Did I write those? 
He looked at me with wonder. Yeah, or you will. You still have to write them and put them under the stairs after this. He gazed back down at the papers, then covered the box. You probably shouldn't see what they say. That could get weird. That much I understood. Right. He gulped. There are like 50 boxes under there, all filled up like this. Deciphering these will take a very long time. His tone dropped to deadly seriousness. But I will save you, Grandpa, because I don't think anyone else can. Tears flowed down my cheeks then, and I couldn't help but sob once or twice. I hadn't realized how lonely I'd become in my shifting prism of awareness until I finally had someone who understood. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then, I was young again, and at work on a random Tuesday. Once the sadness and relief faded, anger and determination replaced them. After I finished my work, I grabbed some paper and began writing. While the weeks shifted around me, while those weeks became days, and then hours, I wrote every single spare moment about when and where I thought I was. I put them under the stairs out of order. My first box was actually the 13th, and my last box was actually the first. Once I had over 50 boxes written from my perspective, and once my shifting became a matter of minutes, I knew it was up to my grandson to take it from there. I put my head down and stopped looking. I couldn't stand the river of changing awareness any longer. Names and places and dates and jobs and colors and people were all wrong and different. I'd never been older. I sat watching the snowfall. A man of at least 30 that I vaguely recognized entered the room. Come on, I think I finally figured it out. I was so frail that moving was painful. Are you him? Are you my grandson? Yes. He took me to a room with strange equipment and sat me in a rubber chair facing a large mirror, twice the height of a man. The pattern finally revealed itself. How long have you worked on this? I asked him aghast. Tell me you didn't miss your life like I'm missing mine. His expression was both stone cold and furiously resolute. It'll be worth it. He brought two thin metal rods close to my arm and then nodded at the mirror. Look. The shock is carefully calibrated. The electric zap from his device was startling, but not painful. In the mirror, I saw a rapid, arcing light silhouette appear above my head and shoulder. The electricity moved through the creature like a wave, briefly revealing the terrible nature of what was happening to me. A bulging, leech-like mouth was wrapped around the back of my head, coming down to my eyebrows and touching each ear and its slug-like body ran over my shoulder and into my very soul. It was a parasite, and it was feeding on my mind. My now adult grandson held my hand as I took in the horror. After a moment, he asked, Removing it is going to hurt very badly. Are you up for this? Fearful, I asked. Is Mar here? His face softened. No, not for a few years now. I could tell from his reaction what had happened, but I didn't want it to be true. How? We've had this conversation a lot, he responded. Are you sure you want to know? It never makes you feel better. Tears brimmed in my eyes, 
then I don't care if it hurts or if I die. I don't want to stay in a time where she's not alive. He made a sympathetic noise of understanding and then returned to his machines to hook several wires, diodes, and other bits of technology to my limbs and forehead. While he did so, he talked. I've worked for two decades to figure this out, and I've had a ton of help from other researchers of the occult. This parasite doesn't technically exist in our plane, and it feeds on the plexus of mind, soul, and quantum consciousness slash reality. When details like names and colors of objects changed, you weren't going crazy. The web of your existence was merely losing strands as the creature ate its way through you. I didn't fully understand. I looked up in confusion as he placed a circlet of electronics like a crown on my head in exact line with where the parasite's mouth had ringed me. He paused his work and grew pale. I forgot that you wouldn't know. You're lucky, believe me. After a deep breath, he began moving again and placed his fingers near a few switches. Ready? This is carefully tuned to make your nervous system extremely unappetizing to the parasite, but it's basically electroshock therapy. I could still see Mars smile, even though she was dead. I'd just been with her moments ago. Do it. The click of a switch echoed in my ears, and I almost laughed at how mild the electricity was. It didn't feel like anything, at least at first. Then I saw the mirror shaking and my body within that image convulsing. Oh, no, it did hurt. Nothing had ever been more painful. It was just so excruciating that my mind hadn't been able to immediately process it. As my vision shook and fire burned in every nerve in my body, I could see the reflected trembling light silhouette of the parasite on my head as it writhed in agony equal to mine. It had claws, six clawed lizard-like limbs under its leech-like body, and it cut into me in an attempt to stay latched on. The electricity made my memories flare. Mars' smile was foremost, lit brightly in front of a warm fire as the snow fell past the window behind her. The edges of that memory began lighting up, and I realized that my life was one continuous stretch of experience. It was only the awareness of it that had been fragmented by feasting evil on my back. I'd never managed to be there for the birth of my son. I'd jumped around a dozen times, but never actually lived it. For the first time, I got to hold Mar's hand and be there for her. No, no, that moment had shifted seamlessly into holding her hand as she lay in a hospital bed for a very different reason. Not this, God, why? It was so merciless to make me remember this. I broke down in tears as nurses rushed into the room. I didn't want to know. I didn't want to experience it. I'd seen all the good parts, but I hadn't wanted the worst part, the inevitable end that all would one day face. It wasn't worth it. It was tainted. All that joy was given back 10,000-fold as pain. The fire in my body and in my brain surged to sear white torture, and I screamed. My scream faded into a surprised shout as the machines and electricity and chair faded away. Snow was no longer falling around my life. I was out in the woods on a bright summer day. Oh, God. I turned to see the creature approaching me. 
It was the same absence of meaning, the same blank reality. It crept forward just like before, but this time it hissed and turned away. I stood astounded at being young again and freed from the parasite. My grandson had actually done it. He'd made me an unappetizing meal, so the predator of my mind and soul had moved on in search of a different snack. I returned home in a daze, and while I was sitting there processing all that had happened, the phone rang. I looked at it in awe and sadness. I knew who it was. It was Marjorie, calling for the first time for some trivial reason she'd admit 30 years later was made up just to talk to me. But all I could see was her lying in that hospital bed dying. It was going to end in unspeakable pain and loneliness. I would become an old man left to sit by myself in an empty house, his soulmate gone long before him. At the end of it all, the only thing I would have left, sitting and watching the fallen snow. But now, thanks to my grandson, I would also have my memories. It would be a wild ride, no matter how it ended. On a sudden impulse, I picked up the phone with a smile and asked, Hey, who's this? Even though I already knew. There's an author's note. Together, my grandfather and I did set out to write the tale of his life. Unfortunately, Alzheimer's disease progressed rapidly, and we were never able to finish. He is still alive, but I imagine mentally he is in a better place than a nursing home. I'd like to think he's back in his younger days, living life and being happy, because the reality is much colder. It's snowing today. He loves the snow. When I visited him, he didn't recognize me, but he did smile as he sat looking out the window. Son of a bitch. I knew it. Right? Oh. I, I knew that, like, listening to it, 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 you definitely got a story that hit me on a, an emotional level, because that is my biggest fear is not remembering things and it's happened to me already before so hearing stuff like that just ah. I just can't imagine having to go through that and basically living your entire life and knowing what it's like at the end and having to redo it all because you don't know what happened you weren't there basically you know it just that's devastating yeah. Um, on a creepy level, it's creepy to me only in the concept that that's like one of my worst fears. Story, it makes complete sense that it, it's a story uh, about Alzheimer's. A word that I don't say. <laughs> I can never say it right. Um, but yeah, uh, that was a really good story. Thank you for listening to my story. Well, this person's story um, on Reddit and if you need to contact us we are at wretchedreports at gmail.com Thank you for listening to Wretched Reports Stories read on this podcast are protected by a Creative Commons license unless otherwise stated Now run off and remember what goes bump in the night is not always in your head <laughs>